Well, thank you all. Uh, he took about half my intro, so I can cut off about you know 20 minutes of the, of the lesson. Uh, no, I, I was thinking while we were singing, and he really did bring up a lot of stuff. So uh, that was all on my lesson tonight, and that's good. It's a good setup. Uh, but while we were singing, I'm, I had originally planned a lesson uh, last week. Last week I was in Louisiana, and when Stephen asked me to speak tonight, I had something on my mind and in my heart, and it was undeniable. Oh, that's what I'm going to speak about. That was, it's good uh, about the reconciliation that Christ brought and answering questions in an apologetic type of way, how you address them with other people at work. And, uh, and when I was in Louisiana, I worked on it at night, early in the morning. I was real kind of proud of it, got a little, got a little worked up on it. And then Monday, uh, I just got a new thought in my head. And... Uh, I just prayed about it, and so I'm going to speak about something totally different than what I prepared all last week, but uh, it'll be good. It's not very long, to be honest, but it's, it's real. Like you said earlier, it's, a, it's based on experiences that I had in the past, part of it being my testimony, but part of it, part of it being others that I witnessed around me. Um, but first, I want to say part of my, my first lesson was just how wonderful and compassionate our God is, and you look at the story of Jonah and how Jonah had no pity on those people of Nineveh. But God, seeing their wickedness, his compassion is a multi-layered word. It's almost a compound word. You have to be able to recognize something and then feel compelled to do something about it. Compassion isn't just this guy needs a jacket. Compassion is, I got a jacket, here's mine. And that's what God did. That's what God did for Nineveh. Yeah, they're wicked, so are we. Yeah, they're horrible, so was I. But God sent Jonah, who didn't want to. He taught him a lesson. Still, Jonah did not like it because he, he said himself, he knew, he said, God, I know you're a gracious and merciful and your, your loving kindness is wonderful. And it, it's, it's a shame that, that Jonah felt that way, but I'm so glad that we have a compassionate God. If we could do one thing and just open up in prayer uh, real quick. Dear Lord, thank you for tonight. Uh, I just pray that you would be with us tonight as we just go over your word and how wonderful and how real it is and how it impacts us in every way. Lord, we love you. We appreciate everything you've done for us in the past and the present and what you will do in the future, Lord. We love you, Lord, and I thank you for everyone here. In your name I pray, amen. All right, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, go to Romans chapter 6. We'll go to Ephesians later. So tonight, I'm going to talk about it was difficult for me to kind of kind of merge what was on my heart and on my mind, and I spent a lot of time trying to really work some things down. Uh, I want to talk about the new man. Kind of my thought in my mind was, where is the new man? And talking about newness of life, the difference between our former conduct and the difference between what we should be now after Christ. So how has Christ come into our lives? We're no longer this. Now we're this. We're not walking this way anymore. Now we should be walking in a newness of life to complete clear distinction from our former. So we'll start in Romans 6, go to verse 15. Before I get there, uh, a lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight is an experience I had when I was a part of an organization that was very skewed in their doctrine of, of the Word of God. Uh, I'm not going to name the group because it's not important, but I was a part, it was a missionary group meant for young adults. And uh, me and Kristen did this together before we were married. We were just friends. Uh, I loved her deeply, but she didn't care for me. And the Lord, <laughs> Lord told her she was wrong, and she finally, 
She finally gave in. But So in the summer, I think it was May 2010, me and her got to go to Africa with a particular organization. And this, like I said, it's catered towards young adults. And it's, it's a, um, I'm trying to be careful not to say the name of it. It's an organization that will send young adults for 11 months. Each new month is a new country. And on, on the surface level, superficially, it was an amazing thing. You go, and I'm thinking, I get to go, and I get to, this is my heart. I get to go, and I get to preach, and I get to teach. I get to share. I get to help build churches in Thailand, in Bolivia, in Colombia, Malaysia, all these different countries. It was amazing. Uh, so we signed up for a one-month. It was like a, a short adventure, if you want to call it, like a little one-monther. Uh, we went to Kenya, Africa, and I went to the uh, Kabara slums which is one of the largest slums in the world. I mean, millions of people living in shacks and shanties on government property. It was horrible. She went out to the outlands with the uh, tribal people, you know, <laughs> killing goats with their bare hands and <laughs> cooking it right there. She was horrified. Uh, they went on a walk-in safari, saw a lion dragging a zebra into the brush. And she was right there in the, in the dirt of it. But it was good on the service level. I got to walk door to door. Uh, the pastor that I was with in Kenya, uh, he was an amazing pastor. He would literally go door to door every single day, every single day, knocking, knocking, and can I share Jesus with you? And he would bring me with him. He didn't bring anybody else. He brought, he brought me with him. And, and he would invite him for tea and prayer. They're a British colony, so they drink a lot of tea, which was really good. Uh, like I said, surface level, it was amazing. But when I got back after that month, I was sold out. I wanted to do this 11-month journey of ministering in different countries. Uh, and so me and Kristen signed up for this, this ordeal to do that. Uh, what we didn't know until just about time that we were getting ready to go to what we call a training camp. Um, they basically were, I don't know what we were expecting, but the training camp was supposed to teach us what to expect, you know, we're going to be living in tents, we're going to be doing this, you know, kind of work as a group, you have little teams. Um, we started finding out more and more about their leaders and about the, uh, the leadership's mindset on scripture. And the more we dived in, dove into it, the more skewed and skewed it was. And it may seem like I'm going on a rabbit trail here, but stay with me, it's, uh, it's going to make its way around. The whole purpose is, is to, for me to display or, or show what, what we went through and compare that to how unsound of a doctrine it was, uh, and talk about that newness of life. It'll, it'll all make sense later on, hopefully. Uh, but So we go to training camp, and some really odd things happen. And so when, while we were in Africa, we noticed that some of the, some of the young adults over there would drink uh, here and there. And I'm not saying they're getting drunk, but openly drink. There's no problem with it. You hear a cuss word every once in a while. And I may have been a new Christian only a few years, but I was sold out. I, I was, I was, I'm not going to brag on myself, but I was legit. I was focused on Christ, and everything was real to me, and I knew that this, this was not the way of holiness, and this was ungodliness. I knew the difference. Um, but uh, we heard that, and I kind of let it go. I let it go. Maybe my first mistake. Uh, and then we, we go to this, this organization, and it was even more rampant. People bragging about, oh, I've had a beer in every country. You know, every, every month I went to a different country, I had a beer in this one, I had a beer in England, a beer in Malaysia. And it, it was so weird, it was so skewed. It, it started becoming this, you're seeing people that are these half-baked Christians. These kind of one foot in, one foot out, not really doing anything, no depth, no real knowledge of scripture. And we still hung in there. 
there was one night where they got up to preach, and I forgot how they started it, but they cussed from the pulpit, and then it came time to do songs. And I'm telling you, on the inside, you're burning. And me and Kristen are like, what is going on? Us and only one other couple out of hundreds of young adults were the only ones that agreed that it was wrong. Uh, so they come time, it comes time to do the song service afterwards, and they're before, I don't know. It was crazy. But they start singing this silly little song, thank you, thank you, thank you for my feet, for my feet. Like just so lack of reverence in their songs and everything. Um, they're talking about drinking, cussing. It's just, it's just not what you think. They're playing secular songs after the service, uh, Jay-Z songs, you know, little different songs. Well, me and Kristen refused to participate in the worship. It was getting, it was getting too out of hand. Uh, so we sat in the back, and we're reading through Romans, and we're reading through different things, and we're pointing out, like, yeah, I can't believe they're doing this because the, the Word of God says this right here. And the next day, and in fact, that night, one of the leaders came up to me and said, hey, what are y'all doing? Why aren't y'all participating? And I think we're pretty honest with him. I was like, man, I don't, this doesn't line up. It doesn't line up. He talked with us a little bit and let it go. He was nice. The next day, they singled me out. They said, Hunter, can we talk to you? And uh, he asked me, what's, what's going on? What's, what's, what's the problem? And I said, man, I, I don't agree with the things that are being done. I don't agree with those that are drinking off on the side. They're saying they're doing this. We're going to, to minister to these countries and these people, and yet there's this side that they're not getting rid of. And I'm like, it's very awkward. That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us to pursue, pursue holiness, you know, to pursue righteousness. Uh, yes, we're being sanctified continually, but you can't, you can't linger in those things of the world and expect to be a representation of Christ in these countries. And it held me up so bad. Uh, and he said, Hunter, Hunter, you can't be perfect. And he said, uh, what we did is we took Romans and we flipped it upside down. And he said, there really is no good or no bad. There's no real right or wrong. And then they used the scripture. Everybody knows what I'm about to do. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that is the gist of that whole organization. They totally misused that context. Freedom from the bondage of sin and the law. Where the law brought death and the letter kills the Spirit, which is Jesus, the life-giving energy source, the, the, the creator, everything. He gave this over here, this freedom. Freedom from all that. And he did everything, we did nothing, and we can have that freedom and rejoice in it. But they use that, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Sorry, that picked up. And they just take it and run with it. And it comes, it, it, if you're not careful, that turns into a real lackadaisical approach to, to the gospel. You start to get into some weird things there. And I say all that to set, set this up. Uh, so Romans 6, 15 through 23, and I'll go through this real quick. And remember, my, my main thing is on the new man and our old former conduct and our new conduct. Uh, so 6, 15 through 23. I got the scriptures in there, I think, okay. What then, remember what I just said about the liberty and freedom? What then, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to, to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We weren't set free from sin to do our own approach to goodness and wonderfulness. We were set free from slave of bondage to be a slave of, of God, 
to be a slave to Christ, who is the freedom. That is the freedom, is him. Serving him is, is every bit of freedom from that. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're all very familiar with this scripture. You know, on one hand, you have a slave of sin who all they do is produce the fruit of lawlessness, which leads to death. Whereas the slaves of righteousness produce the fruit of holiness, which leads to life. And the more I talked to this guy, he just kept saying, Hunter, you're, you're putting everybody on a pedestal. You know, you, you think you can obtain this, but you just can't. And he, he's basically saying that we have freedom to do what we want. You know, wh- why should we, why do we, what's good is bad. And then they would use the maturity. I don't know if any of y'all heard this with Christians, but they'll say, oh, I'm just, I'm just mature. Yeah. Hunter, you're just, you know, I've been called gun shy. I've been called immature in the spirit, many different things. Um, he said, you're just not mature. And I'll get, I'll get more into that in a second. But let me say one more thing about this organization, and I'll, I'll continue. So the scary thing about this organization is that with that mentality of, of that maturity, think about that. They think that they're mature enough. They know and they have enough of these uh, revelations and fake prophecies inside of them that they, they feel mature. They feel like they've attained some spiritual vitality, some spiritual matureness, because they go around, uh, I, I should have told you this before, they would go around practice prophesying. I'm not even joking. They would come up and say, I see a, a peach on a beach, and it's pink, and there's a big drink. Oh, man, I'm sorry, man. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen to you, but you know, they, they would do weird things like that. I'm telling you, they would walk around. It came time for me to do it. And the, the girl struggled to say something, and I'm just looking at her. And the only reason I participated is because something told me to participate. And I, I feel like it was the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, this is very awkward. Um, this is not the same night they did the weird dance, but this is another night. I was already frustrated and sick, determining why, Lord, am I here? Should I leave now? I've already gotten people that donated to me, thousands and thousands of dollars. I was very nervous about what was going to happen. But I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me, and she's struggling. And I look at her, and I say, look, this isn't real. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is fake. This is fake. I, I mean, I told you, I'd been saved a few years, and so you get that like, new Christian like, burning, like, I, I'll conquer anything right now. You know? <laughs> Bring it on. But I told her that, and she didn't, she didn't acknowledge anything. She was just like, okay, okay. And then later on, uh, they had a bunch of guys gather, gather around. They said, all right, I want you all to put somebody in the middle and prophesy. And I'm like, please, Lord, don't put me in the middle. Please, Lord. They said, Hunter, get in the middle. <laughs> and there's a reason they put me in the middle. I had already spoken a lot of them individually about what I'd seen the nights and said, look, this is not right. And, and I had said, this is wrong. This is right. This is not good. This is crazy. These people are insane in the nicest way I possibly can. So they said, Hunter, get in the middle. And I'm just, I'm, I'm flaming on the inside. Uh, and I was so kind and so real in that moment 
it's the only time I've really felt the Holy Spirit move through me in that moment. And uh, I was waiting for him to prophesy. I was like, please say something. Please say anything. And they couldn't say a word. They were supposed to practice prophesy over me. And they're sitting there. They're, they're just quiet. Everybody else around is screaming and hollering and yelling. And so I said, I have a word from the Lord, guys. And this is not to build me up, I promise. This is not to build me up. But I felt so enraged. Every night I would go back to my tent and I would just touch the red letters. I told Kelly that at, at, at prayer night. I would just touch the red letters because I was so upset. And I'm like, this is the only truth I have right now, God. These red letters. And I'd flip through and I'd touch every single one. I'm like, God, these people are insane. What is going on? And I told those guys, I said, this is not real. This is not, not how it's supposed to work at all. I said, this is all fake. This is all pretentious. It's, it's a facade of something deeper. And uh, some of them agreed. And the next day, some of them asked me questions and, and wanted to move forward. One thing in talking with these guys is I, I noticed that there was a lack of depth. There was a lack of a newness. You know, a lot of them said they'd been saved before, but there was nothing there. It was empty. That kind of moves me on to the, this next thing. Let's go to Ephesians four seventeen through 24. All right, 4, 17, and I'm going to go through 24. So, 17 says, This I say, therefore, and the title of this section of my Bible literally says, The New Man. And that's, that's, if you want to give it a title, that's what I gave my title tonight, The New Man. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all in cleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." There was a time after all that practice, practice prophesying prayer and stuff, and I got to know everybody, and I start realizing there's a, not insulting, there's a lot of half-baked Christians, and I sat down with my team, there's five of us, there's a married couple, two girls, and a guy, and I had told them, I said, look, I don't know if I'm going to continue, this is, this is out of whack, and they were saying, please stay, please stay, we want you to stay, and I was so compelled to stay, but we were sitting down at a restaurant, and I told them, I was like, look, guys, God... I have gotten rid of all that stuff in my past. All the, all the drinking, the playing with the nonsense. I've done it all. I've done it all. Kristen knows my testimony. Steve knows my testimony. My mom knows my testimony. I sat down with her at Crazy Hoes in Lumberton, and she cried for an hour. I told her everything I did, and uh, I said, Mom, I did drugs. And I carried on, and she says, wait, 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 you did drugs? And she wouldn't, <laughs> her poor little heart, she wouldn't let it go. You know, she's never touched anything. But she, she would, but I can't believe you did drugs. You know, she'd come back to it. But I sat down and told those guys, like, look, I've put all that stuff aside. I'm a new creation in Christ. And yet there's this lingering thing. And some of those in that very team uh, would drink and would do things. And they said, well, Hunter, how would you feel if, if we're out in a country and I have a drink? And I said, I said, for the sake of brotherly love, I would hope that you wouldn't. Because I once struggled with that. I once did that. I came out of that. And if you love me, as Scripture tells me, you will not eat of that. You will not drink of that. But you will give in to me. You will compromise with me and say, I'm not going to drink that in front of Hunter because I love him. 
I don't want him to be tempted in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And they said, well, I just, I don't feel the same way. I'd, I'd still have the beer. You know, that's their mindset. That's, that's their whole thing is they don't care. They are still clinging in the world. They're still holding on with one hand. Here, come on, world, I want to go to church. They won't give it up. There's no benefit. There's nothing that profits things of the world. Those things are junk. They really are. I did it all. I, I played with it. I hid it from my parents. I hid it from friends. Uh, it just leads to nowhere. I was so embarrassed several times. He talked about Wade picking me up. No joke. There was one time Wade had to make like five trips to pick us all up. And our dorm was 100 feet away. I'm sitting on the curb, freezing. We just came from a pool party, and the cops won't let me get up and get my jacket. One girl gets found with a thing of cocaine. Thankfully, they let us go. Thankfully. The other girl that was driving had one drink. She's getting arrested. I'm thinking, well, this, is, this isn't a good night. Who can I call? There's Wade. <laughs> There's always Wade, thankfully. But all that junk, it just led to trouble and sorrow. And the night I gave myself to the Lord, it, it was a true freedom from that junk. Not a freedom to do what I want, but a freedom from the junk of the world. And so this newness of life, that you would put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. There is no whimsical, lackadaisical feeling or emotion about that. So y'all know, y'all know my testimony. I'm not going to share all of it. He had mentioned somebody named Alan. I haven't met him yet. But where, where's... Oh, I know Alan. I'm sorry. I'm my bad, dude. I didn't even see you. Yeah. Uh, he was bragging on you in, in a good way. I remember when I first got saved, uh, without going through the details, I got saved, and it was a very painful moment, but it was a very wonderful moment afterwards. And I went home and immediately threw away everything. I grabbed CDs, and I'm just as happy as can be, like, chunking them in the trash. You know, grabbed some things my parents didn't know about, and I threw those in the trash. It was all gone. It was done. I didn't answer any phone calls from my friends ever uh, for a while. I, I want to say ever again, until I was, knew I was secure enough to talk to them. I just gave it all up. I gave it all up, and it sounds like you did a similar thing. You, you went in, and you went headstrong into it, making outlines of books and studying and things like that. I couldn't put the Bible down. I was reading Leviticus. <laughs> me, and, me and Kristen, I mean, you remember talking about that? I remember I read Leviticus, and I was like, have you ever read Leviticus? <laughs> this is amazing. You know, There's so many correlations, for real, about Christ being crucified where he was outside the camp. It's pretty cool. I don't know, if you ever get a chance and you, and you really feel like it, get past it, and you will see a great correlation. Uh, but my testimony is that I had a clear, defining, definite moment of transformation. And that's what I did not see when I was with that organization. And I think that was the source of their problems. Not think, it was the source of their problems. Because they did not have the clear distinction of, I am in Christ, I am no longer there. They did not. And that was the source of it. It led to so many other things because of that one central theme. Their focus was not Christ. Their very essence was not Christ. There was a guy from Scotland that was on, he wasn't on my team, but he was in my group, whatever that means. Uh, you know, guys all shared tents over here. I helped build tents. You know, being from Texas, we were in Tennessee. Texas guys always do better at things than everybody else. Uh, <laughs> We can start fires, you know, we can handle bows and arrows, I don't know. Uh, I could make an A-frame tent and they were blown away. All, all the girls were like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, 
but this guy from Scotland was talking, and we were sharing our testimonies. It was a cool moment. There, I'll give it to the organization. There were some times where you were sincere with each other. We, we would spend time with one another, uh, always appropriate. You wouldn't spend time with another girl alone. Uh, they got on to me and Kristen for talking during lunchtime off to the side, like, hey, guys, you can't talk. You know, we're adults. Uh, but we would spend time together sharing our testimonies. And this, this girl shared her testimony, you know, a very good testimony. She walked down the aisle and is a youth camp. She was saved. She seemed genuine. This guy from Scotland, and his Scottish accent that I won't do, he said, well, yeah, uh, I, I kind of kind of got saved over a series of months. And he said, there were some missionaries down the road, and I went and heard them speak, and I liked it. So I went back, and I went back again, and I, then I just, I was saved. And he, I'm sitting there listening to him, and, and there was no conviction inside of his heart. There was nothing. It was just empty. What he was saying is, is basically, what I got from it is he's just there for an adventure, which turned out to be half the people there. You had a girl who thought she was a lesbian. You had somebody who did not know really anything about the Bible. These people just wanted an adventure. They wanted to find something to fulfill something inside of them other than Christ. And I didn't see anything in him. I didn't see any of that newness that Christ brings. And then he said, Hunter, tell us about your testimony. And I promise you, I I just kept getting opportunities and opportunities and opportunities. And I did not want to be rude, but I said, mine was not at all like that. And I said, I had a clear defining moment of when I came from this to this. And I shared my testimony and they were just like, oh yeah. And that's when I started gaining the trust of some of the guys. That's why that night they prophesied over me. I think that's why they didn't say anything is because they knew that I wouldn't accept it. I don't, I don't know. But I just said, look, there's a clear defining moment. You quoted Tozer, so I'll quote Tozer. Uh, in the Pursuit of God, a book he published in 1948, and if I remember right, he wrote it with a pencil on a bus. Pretty amazing. I haven't done anything on a bus. Uh, Tozer describes how this rebirth, this newness of life, rebirth is what it is, this rebirth will rip out the roots of our hearts from this world's soil. When that happens, the heart no longer clings to any earthly thing. We cease to possess anything, no matter how much we have. He actually describes it, and I couldn't find the exact full quote. He describes it as a violent ripping out from the ground. Roots, everything. You, you ever tugged azaleas out? Anybody raise their hand if you tugged azaleas out? Y'all know how hard those jokers are. You can get a tractor, you can get a truck. I've seen chains break, and it just end up in the back window. Super deep roots, super hard, strong roots. That's kind of how Tozer's using that. He's saying you have to violently rip it out from the soil. And it's not us, but it's Christ. But you have to allow that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to build up my salvation. I know I had a very wonderful testimony, uh, a time where I came to Christ. But it's not to demean anything. I know people that have walked down the aisle, people that have been saved at six years old. Uh, Lee Ship was saved at six years old. Uh, I'm assuming at a church. I don't know the full testimony. Uh, there's nothing. As long as it's genuine and real, that's it. It doesn't matter if you walk down this aisle right now tonight and you give your life completely over to Christ. If it is real and genuine, there's a distinct line from there to there where the old person is is pushed aside. The things of the world are left over there and the newness in Christ starts right here. Whether that happens in a truck on the side of the road or right here, as long as it's genuine, it's real. It's real. That's the gospel. But there has to be that defining moment. And when I think of that, I think of Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I that live. I have been crucified with Christ. There's many scriptures that talks about us being buried, I'm sorry, uh, dying with Christ and being resurrected with Christ as well. You know, we must daily, Paul said daily, I have to give all this up down to Christ. I have to die to this. I have to crucify this flesh. I can't linger in the world. I can't do these things in the world anymore. I have to give it all to Christ. He is my freedom and my source. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 17, it's not on there. It says, a new creation, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That should be what the new Christian is. And the very word repent, when I repented, I didn't say it out loud. When I gave myself to the Lord that night, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was talking to God, but there wasn't a pastor. There wasn't a missionary. There wasn't my mom, dad. It was all in my mind, to be honest. I grew up Baptist. Nothing against that denomination. They do some wonderful things. But I didn't speak and pray out loud. That's just not what I grew up doing. That wasn't a very thing, but it was burning inside of me. I repented inside. But that repenting that night was so real. And what the word repent means, I can't pronounce it, metanoa or something like that. But it means to change one's mind and purpose, to completely change one's direction, literally to turn 180 degrees toward God. Without that dropping of the world and stepping into Christ, you're still hanging on. You know, these guys were still hanging on to the world. They didn't turn completely away from it. They just wanted to linger with it. Linger with it. You have to do an about face, a complete ripping of it. <clears throat> One psalm, and I'm almost done here, but Psalms 119, 59, and 60 says, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. And that was one thing when I got saved. And I'm saying all this for an encouragement, whether those of you all here maybe seeking more knowledge on salvation, maybe trying to understand what it means to be in Christ. All I'm trying to say is that I did not delay in my giving myself over to Christ. It was immediate and it was sincere and real. That scripture really jumped out at me because he says, I did not delay to keep your commandments. We don't keep the Old Testament law. We know that. But I did not delay to come to you, Christ. I did not delay. I see, I noticed, I recognized that I needed you. I did not delay going to you. And I'll just say one more thing. I don't know if you want to come play, Steve, before we open up the altars. This, This is my desire. You know, I've said a lot tonight, and I hope I made sense about dropping the world and the things of the world, getting rid of that, and having a genuine newness of life in Christ. In Psalms 18 to 15, I hope this is our desire. This, this is my desire. I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. That new birth, that rebirth, that newness in life, all through sanctification is to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to conform us to the image of Christ, not to be conformed to this world. We should no longer walk in the conduct of the Gentiles. Don't walk as they do. You walk as Christ did. Be an imitator of God. Imitate Christ. Do the things of Christ. And nothing else should satisfy us except conformity to the image of Christ. What I do, how I act, my intentions, my conduct, Everything should align and point to Christ. 
And uh, I, I hope that was something for somebody. Uh, it was for me, and I know it was a lot of jumbled thoughts there, but uh, as we open the altars, maybe we could just pray, just seek the Lord on a greater depth and understanding of this newness of life. If you don't fully understand it, uh, if anybody's seeking repentance, if anybody needs prayer, if anybody needs the Lord, don't hesitate, don't delay, don't give in to the ways of the world, don't be clinging to it when you want God and you need God. Let go of the world. Lay it all down right here. This is the altar. This is the nasty part in Leviticus I talked about. This, this is where all the bloodshed was and the tearing up. You know, just, just lay it all right here. Give it all to Christ. So if y'all would, you can pray. You can play. I'll pray, and then we'll come up here and just seek the Lord. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you've prepared everything.